You're listening to the future of retail in Africa, an Inc. Africa podcast. Retail in Africa is being forever transformed by the continent's burgeoning infrastructure growth, new technology, and the fact that by 2050, the continent will make up 50% of the world's population. I'm James Townsend, co-founder of Pattern Retail. And over the series, I'll be speaking with innovators, disruptors, and founders changing retail in Africa for the better. Today, we'll be chatting with Hazel Pillay, head of Pick and Pay Clothing. Hazel's track record speaks for itself, from a start working in stores, right the way through to leading one of the fastest growing retailers in the region. We cover some fascinating topics around leading in difficult times, building a brand and offering the customers love and remain loyal to, developing an innovative supply chain that unlocks profit and growth, how to bring innovation into the way you do business, and throughout it all, the role of data and technology. Hazel, thanks so much for agreeing to meet with us. I want to start off by chatting a little bit about you, who you are, where you come from, uh, and your background that brings you here to running Pick and Pay Clothing today. Uh, Thank you, James. I'm absolutely humbled that you've asked me to join on your very first podcast. Um, Hopefully, it will be a very insightful session. So, a little bit about myself. I'm Hazel Pillay, uh, obviously heading up Pick and Pay Clothing. I was born in Durban. I moved to Cape Town directly after high school. And fortunately, through the evolution of my career, also spent nine years in Johannesburg. Uh, This experience of moving around has allowed me to get more insight around the country and and the customers that we serve. In terms of experience, I covered time across many retailers, including um, Truett's, where I started off on the shop floor. I worked at Fushini, um, Jet, Legit. I also covered some time at Pepco with the brand called Dunn's. And here I'm at Pick and Pay Clothing, and these are retailers from a local perspective. I also was quite fortunate to work for the international retailer called Cotton On across brands um, of Fubi, Supre and Kids. And I worked in Pipco, Poland for uh, a period of time. I was fortunate to have opportunities that cover numerous roles across the spectrum of, of retail. I see you started out as a buyer. You moved from the shop floor, which I think would have been a golden experience. How's that influenced you? I'm thinking of all the young aspiring creatives and buyers out there that will look at Hazel Pillay running pick and pay clothing. Um, I'm inspired. I'm an ex-buyer. So I find it quite inspirational as well. Like how, how have you found uh, your roots as a buyer uh, have impacted your trajectory and what you do today? I think the skill set that I attain through being a buyer, obviously being really close to the consumer, but at the same time, making sure that we're putting together ranges that, um, sell well and create profit for the internal consumer. I think those particular threads of learning to balance the outside, which is the consumer and the inside requirements has stayed with me throughout my career. So Pick and Bake Clothing is a big business today, 300 standalone stores, 180 in-store stores as well. Uh, and you guys have been on a real test, grew sales by 15% last quarter in 2022 and have been growing aggressively off the part, over the last few years. You opened 67 stores last year, so it's definitely a big expansion. What do you think are the factors that are driving your success at the moment? What are you guys doing right? Because it hasn't been such an easy time for for retail in general and specifically apparel. 
So I think it's a lot to do with our customer value proposition. We are offering great value to the majority of customers in South Africa, specifically focused at the family. Um, we offer better fabrics um, at very affordable prices and commercial fits. It's a quite a different proposition in the market as compared to some of our competitors. We've also tried to reposition as a family brand, uh, trying to offer the consumer um, an improved kids wear range and men's wear range, and that has actually been well received by the market. I think alongside of that, sitting within that customer value proposition, it's our positioning that's linked to local where we're sourcing over 45% of our product locally manufactured. Uh, we have a high content of sustainable practices in our product that we sell. Up to 38% have sustainability factors. But I think we've become a very loved brand in South Africa, and we're actually very much about serving the community and being part of the community, and people are identifying with that. And I think... Retail's gone through quite a, a torrid time of late with the pandemic being, you know, the big, big disruption. But there's been a series of disruptions since then. Think about the civil unrest, particularly in KZN, the flooding that hit that province thereafter and the ongoing load shedding. What's that like as a, as a retail leader navigating disruptions like that? And how, how do you manage that and help your team navigate disruptions on those sort of scales? As difficult as it um, might sound, but teams and people want leaders to create some, some level, some type of certainty. And uh, the best approach comprises of collaboration, empathy, um, alignment and clarity through communication, as well as just being pragmatic. What I've found through the last few years and being part of the Pick and Bay group, collaboration is key. I've seen this group pull together across multiple functions and find solutions and execute really quickly. So leveraging on the network is critical. And as a leader holding empathy, uh, people on the shop floor are always directly impacted if we're looking at the riots and the flood specifically. And addition to the compounded impact of COVID and now load shedding as well as high inflations, leaders have to be extremely cognizant of people's mental, mental health and wellness in order to be able to lead and support them through the process. Clarity is critical, having more frequent communication sessions, being transparent, updating all stakeholders. I think going through that journey together just keeps everybody aligned. And just being pragmatic, I mean, in the instance of load shedding, after stage six in September, we changed 70% of our fleet by the end of November to be operating on inverter battery packs. And by the, by the end of April this year, it will be 100% of our stores. So I think it's a combination of those few elements that helps to take people through this journey of very, very difficult times and, and difficult times still ahead. Growth is something that we as retailers are always looking for. We're searching for it's part of the DNA of most of the retail brands in the world. Where do you see growth coming from in the fashion retail sector specifically and, and in SA and Africa more broadly? There's been a lot of acquisitions, so 
bigger brands or bigger chains are buying brands. And then you know, what will it take to compete in this space? So I think that in terms of Africa, there's still opportunity for more South African brands to be spread out into Africa. There's certainly marketplace opportunities. And I, for me, what I'm mostly excited about in Africa is the manufacturing opportunity. So I think developing regional manufacturing models that can support fiber to garment opportunities can be transformational to us in South Africa in terms of future-proofing our value chains. And certainly reducing carbon emissions. For example, there is a high content of cotton grown in countries such as Egypt and Mali, Tanzania, etc. And that's exported to other countries to be used. If we can find a way to regionalize the use and bring it back to the continent, I think that will be certainly a growth opportunity. There, there really is a, a massive shift into the digital space. I think Africa has lots of opportunity, just quoting some of your opening statements about having 50% of the world's population by 2050. Um, there's still very much an opportunity for fast fashion retail to grow. I think there is this sweet spot of where the adoption of technology data and the circular economy will become the cornerstone of the evolution process and create opportunities to grow. Do we see this digital trend and world just really merging with our physical world at the moment? You know, how, how do you guys think about bringing digital and physical worlds together in your business? Technology and data will underpin the delivery of a seamless omni-channel experience, which technically means a highly immersive shopping experience based in customer insights driven actions and activities and engagements, and that's delivered across both, both channels. Um, so I, I definitely see this opportunity of omni-channel and gathering data as incredibly critical. There's a massive shift in consumer behavior looking for convenience. So advances in technology will make it possible to manage the customer experience across digital and physical spaces. The accumulation of data and how to mine it will help us personalize our consumers' experiences. And we'll be able to get to know them better. When are they shopping? Where are they shopping? How do they shop? And hence engage with them uniquely. And I think the technological data component will also support better stock management and help to automate our customer engagement processes um, Fundamentally, what we're trying to do is personalize their experience and use data to predict that. I've seen a big move from the traditional product-centric merchandise planning, merchandise management model. Now, more and more, I see people talking about a customer-centric retail planning model, which for me, given my background, is quite a, quite a leap from, from where, we've, where we've come. But it does make sense. Customer data, obviously, is a huge uh, focus at the moment. How do you see inventory management specifically changing over the next maybe five years or so? Taking your point about data and, and, and customers and really trying to curate the journey. I, I think it's going to be massively critical for one particular component on the circular economy. So matching your stock to your sales is really going to be the way to go in order to reduce waste. That sounds very simplistic and easy, as I say it, but actually quite difficult to do. Um, one of the other key trends happening at the moment where 
you have economic distress or difficulty, people are shopping based on, on need. And what we're finding is whether an environmental impacts just change the way shoppers um, shop. So data will help us to be able to project better, but, I, but, we'll, but it won't be as seamless as we would like it to be. And we're going to need a few years of collecting data to get better and better at it. But it's going to be critical for us to build data on individualistic basis to build our product ranges, find the right stock and the right time in order to be part of the circular economy. Yeah, I mean, fashion is such a fickle and inherently risky thing, and that's part of the challenge with, with managing inventory to sales. How do you see innovation coming into that specifically, managing risk of the fashion element in retail? I think firstly, you have to be very clear on your CVP. That's the customer value proposition. I always say it's equally important to know what you stand for versus what you don't stand for. Because often you can go on a growth trajectory and start uh, moving this along and suddenly customers don't really understand your proposition. So staying true to that is point number one. Um, there's there's a lot going on on the technological front. So picking what is critical to advancing your proposition once you're clear with it and what will make the biggest difference in your customer experience. Thirdly, from an internal perspective, testing and learning and having agile teams with an agile mindset, building an operational rhythm where you're able to test small, fail fast, or learn something that can actually be scaled. It's a way everyone in the organization needs to think it can't be cordoned off to a small group of people. And once you're able to adopt this way of thinking, you know, most people think innovation is doing big things, but I think it's a combination of doing better things and doing things better. So, so basically, sometimes it's just small steps moving forward before you reach your goal. But you need everyone in the organization fixated on how to improve uh, what you're doing right now and staying aligned to the vision that you're going to. Because most people get caught up in a lot of noise, hence the movement away from their propositions and probably playing around in spaces that delays them from getting to their vision. Yeah. And data is is critical in that, in, in measuring where should we be? Where should our space be? And what is the noise that we should we should you know dial out of? So the local, I mean, listening to you chatting and and local manufacturing is a big focus for you guys, as you said. So you're forty percent now, and I think there's I've seen online you guys are wanting to get to sixty percent. You know, talking about test and react and and that strategy, which is so valuable to a fashion inventory management chain, has the local industry delivered that 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 Zara or Sheehan model that we see with this hyper agile response time and, and feedback loop. I mean, are we there from a local manufacturing and supply chain point of view? Being able to respond to what the customers want within a six to eight week period, most definitely will only be possible if you're working with shorter lead times, hence working closer in South Africa and Africa could actually be our, our next step forward. Yes, it's a collaborative approach. 
So retailers and, and suppliers and manufacturers do need to work together in that system, in that value chain. And you can organize an operational rhythm on how to deliver that. And many retailers have actually done that uh, and are doing that right now in South Africa using local manufacturing. So it is very possible. It's yeah, already yeah. happening. No, it's really exciting. And I think the opportunity for closer relationships between strategic suppliers um, right the way from fabric through to, to CMT is is there. And I think you guys are capitalizing on it and it's obviously showing in the results. So uh, marketing is, is something which in a lot of businesses sits outside of the merchandise and retail sphere. But today it's no longer and it's moving more and more into uh, um, an intermixed scenario. So we're moving away from the old silos of old, if you like. Um, where, where are you guys seeing innovation from a marketing point of view uh, and how does data come into that? And does that impact some of the inventory planning or inventory management or, or buying decisions? Pick and pay clothing is more specifically a word of mouth brand and secondly, built specifically on social marketing. So, you know, we're having this growth spurt and prior to that, we weren't really in any above the line marketing and we haven't really approached that. We've taken the route on social media and we have quite a broad spectrum of consumers. So being able to tailor the communication to them is incredibly critical. So an older customer prefers Facebook, a younger customer, possibly more TikTok. So having these different mediums to speak to different groups of people is really what's very critical. And yes, that's another form of, of data in order to track how consumers um, behave around certain types of products or the customer journey, etc. And I think that also can be really well linked with brand loyalty. I think those two components go very well together in terms of accumulating data that is going to help you make better decisions on behalf of the customer. Innovation broadly, you know, what's your philosophy around innovation and you know, how do you make it an important part of your business from a team uh, point of view. I think sometimes we can have a view that innovation is just doing big things. It's a component of small things and big things. And it's important to stay relevant um, using innovation to solve your consumers' problems and daily needs better. Uh, as a team, we're consistently evolving by testing and getting data in order to show us how to move forward. And I think Culturally, what we need to shift away from is if we do test something or do something and it fails, it's not necessarily negative. It's getting feedback from consumers that um, can prevent you from doing a really big investment on something quite large. So it can prevent major losses, but failing isn't, isn't a negative. It's just getting data to make better decisions. I think a very key component of innovation is also diversity of thought. So having people from different generations, different lived experience, different viewpoints, that all helps the approach to transformation, agility and problem solving with a far more increased awareness and the, the ability to create more solutions to choose from. So the people side of it is incredibly critical from a mindset and a collective group of people to have different ideas and thoughts. Yeah, I saw a 
McKinsey article recently talking about digital transformation and how it needs to happen in people's minds first. Um, yeah. Moving towards a data-centric organization is really about behavior fundamentally and then obviously tools and systems, et cetera. But often there can be a focus on the technology versus the, the mindset and, and the, the people side of it. So I want to just finish off and get a few tips from you essentially. So what sort of resources, research books and reads are, are, are you focusing on at the moment? Anything essential that you can pass on to the listeners? I think from books that I've read that have influenced me greatly, I'm a female leader, also still building my career in retail. And there are still many challenges as a female leader navigating through the environment that we find ourselves in. So I really enjoyed Indra Noe's book, Around My Life in Full, where she focuses on the trajectory of female leadership and the challenges that she faced during her rise to CEO. And it creates a quite a, a quite a good awareness around this topic. I think creativity and thinking is key and creating space in your day-to-day uh, is imperative. I really enjoyed Creative Ink written by Ed Catmull, and it's really about the, the story behind Disney. And it talks to how to develop dynamic teams. No leader is working on anything on their own. You have to have the people around you, which also plays in your value proposition. Nobody gets to see that, but dynamic teams and people that can think and create and problem solve are critical to the success of your, your business. And then just accumulating information. I mean, I'm not someone on a personal level that's very big on social media, but I love looking at LinkedIn. I think there's a real time of what's happening in businesses. There are quick reads and they keep you up to speed. Um, and just watching customers and engaging with in your networks. I mean, nothing's more interesting than being at a braai and somebody talks about where they shopped and what did they buy. You're learning so much about what customers are doing, you know, just at the water cooler conversations or at your private uh, family functions, I find that absolutely amazing. And old school reading for me is still the best. Reading books and touching books, I still find that very inspiring. And just for pure joy and a life-changing experience, I think one of my favorite books of all times is The Alchemist by Paula Kula. I just found that whole story and that entire journey uh, incredibly spiritual and enlightening, and I would advise anyone who feels a little bit stuck to to read that book. Hazel, thanks so much for the conversation. It's been really fascinating, and we really appreciate you coming on as the first of many in our in our series on the future of retail in Africa. And we wish you all the success with your growing business and all of the wonderful things that are happening at Pick and Pay Clothing. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This sounds like a really great series and I certainly wish all of you the best and luck in continuing your journey and allowing more and more people to get insights on retail. Thank you. Thanks again to Hazel Pillay, Head of Pick and Pay Clothing. The Future of Retail in Africa is an Inc. Africa podcast produced in collaboration with Pattern Retail. Our producer is Charles Matthews. Our audio engineer was John Pinar. And the music was by Dmitry Kolesnikov of The Mountain on pixabay.com. I'm James Townsend. Thanks for listening.